We are grateful that God gives us the Bible so that we can know God more fully. Those of you who know me know that I love a good story, and I usually have one to tell. Brooke and Brenda and Vince, when I come into the office in the morning, always say, what story do you have today? Because I usually have one. Because I love story, that's one reason I love the Bible. You may have heard me say that the Bible is the story of God and God's people. When I read the Bible, I'm reminded that what's contained in those pages is for me, for us, to be able to more fully see God present in relationship with people. I see God in the relationship with the Israelites and with the disciples and with Paul. I'm also able to so clearly see myself in the stories contained there. I am the wayward Israelites who followed and then didn't. I'm the disciples who thought they knew and understood everything about Jesus and then repeatedly proved that they still didn't know and they still didn't understand. Typically when it comes to Paul, though, the person uh, to whom the letter to the Romans is attributed, I have more than a little bit of a hard time seeing myself. Maybe it's that I didn't have a huge transformational encounter on the open road like Paul did. Maybe it's the twisty, turny way that Paul wrote a whole lot of words in really long sentences, kind of convoluted grammar at times. Maybe it's the way I still sometimes perceive Paul as if through the first lens I used to meet him. My mom really didn't like Paul at all. So that was the first lens through which I saw him. And whatever the reason, I do sometimes find it hard to connect to Paul's letters in a personal way. It's also hard sometimes to see letters as story. But when I got to seminary, my New Testament professor, Dr. Scott Spencer, helped me have a new appreciation for Paul, mainly because of the time we spent in the book of Romans most particularly the passage that we just read. Mind you, Romans is still full of that twisty, turny writing, and I do still have a distorted lens. But as Paul wrote that letter to people he had never even met, building a case for what he had thought long and hard about in himself, the case for hope in a risen Savior that extends beyond the right here and the right now, he was writing that letter to me. The first chapters of Romans are laying a foundation on which Paul builds his case for the now and the not yet. By the time we arrive at the middle of chapter 8, where we are today, Paul has worked his way from creation in chapter 1 to Mosaic Law in chapter 2 to Abrahamic Covenant in chapter 4 to Christ's death and resurrection in chapter 6 and then to life with and through the Holy Spirit where we end up now. And that life is so much more than our modern Baptist idea of dunked and done. Verses 12 through 16 talk very plainly about our position or title as children of God. Paul is clear that if we allow ourselves to be led by God's Spirit fully and completely, we will be known and seen as adopted sons. Now that doesn't mean that girls don't count. It just reflects the time in which Paul lived where sons inherited from their fathers 
And Paul wanted to say to all of us, you're all sons. It doesn't matter if you're a boy or a girl. You're all sons. You can all inherit. It does mean that everyone who gives up their own wants and their own desires in order to love God and follow Jesus will be able to inherit God's kingdom right along with Jesus. And that sounds terrific, doesn't it? Inheriting from a king, wonderful news, and wonderful verses. But that's not what drew me to Romans. Because Paul writes, like so many other things, there's a cost for this inheritance beyond giving up what we want. Verse 17 ends with, in effect, we inherit with Jesus if we share in his suffering. Suffering? What do you mean suffering? I don't want to suffer. I just want to follow Jesus, right? Quoting author Suzanne Stabile from a conference that I attended yesterday, nothing in scripture says that there's no suffering. Suffering is necessary. Every important thing comes from there. Every important thing comes from suffering. I think we can all agree that we are surrounded by and experiencing a lot of suffering and pain right now. It's almost palpable at this point. We can almost touch it. And it seems to come at us from every direction. We're suffering the pain of separation caused by a pandemic. No hugs, no handshakes, no pats on the back. We're suffering the pain with our black brothers and sisters. We're suffering the pain of political and societal strife at every turn. We're suffering the pain and rancor that's splashed and thrown all over social media. Suffering the pain and grief from lost opportunities and unrealized expectations. No end of year picnics, no goodbyes to our classmates, no award ceremonies, no big graduations, no birthday parties or big vacations. We're suffering pain from big losses and from small ones. There are no coins at the bank or at the grocery store. There's no toilet paper, or there's no cleaning wipes. Our friends and our family and our beloved pets have died. And there are broken relationships that aren't what we thought they were. We're suffering the pain of fear the fear of not having enough money or a job or a place to live or a reliable car or the fear of catching COVID-19 or the fear of all the things that we can't even know. Some of us suffer outwardly in ways that we can all see. Some of us suffer inwardly where it's hidden but still painfully real. All of us are suffering. And it's not just us here in our little corner of Virginia but it's all of God's creation. God's created people all over the world are suffering with us. And they're mad at each other, fighting with each other, calling each other names, lying about each other, hurting each other all the time. And then all the rest of God's creation is suffering too. Forest fires and plastic choked oceans, fresh water shortages and melting ice caps, food shortages and endangered and extinct species, so much suffering. It's all heavy and it's hard and we feel like we're getting near a breaking point. But can you see that maybe instead of a breaking place, this present suffering, all suffering really, is a liminal space. Liminal means literally 
an in-between place. This liminal in-between place that we are full of suffering in is a place, and it can be a place, of waiting and growing and learning and preparing. As Stabile said yesterday, it's necessary. Every important thing comes from this space. This is a space in which we're called to be patient, to be ready to change, and to be changed. A place of not yet. We haven't arrived at the end yet. Curiously, Paul uses a universally familiar idea to convey the depth of the importance of the not yet. And this part of the passage is what draw me, what drew me to study Romans more closely. Paul says all of God's creation is suffering the pangs of childbirth. Doesn't matter if you're a boy or a girl. All of God's creation is suffering the pangs of childbirth. Childbirth happens in every society. It is as hopeful as it is painful. And as a metaphor for this shared space of suffering and hope and not yet, it can evoke powerful memories for parents and grandparents, and it can pull hard memories up for those who can't or couldn't or didn't become parents. In Paul's day, a family's entire future often depended on a successful birth. All their hopes and dreams resting on that swelling belly and what was hidden inside. And for all of us, those who claim to join in Christ's suffering, our future hope rests on what is being born from all this suffering around and in us. While recognizing the pain is important, so too is recognizing the hope of what's hidden. Paul writes, But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Having a baby takes a lot of waiting and a lot of patience before, during, and after. Nine months is a long time to wait. And while you're waiting, you see evidence of what you're waiting and hoping for. The growing belly, the lumpy bumps of elbows and knees, the wave of a rolling body inside. But you can't actually see the baby. There's no like plastic thing there that lets you say, hey baby, it's just hidden. Even the fancy ultrasound machines only show you a picture of what's in there. And so you wait and you hope and you dream about what it's going to be like. That's what Paul is talking about when he writes, we wait eagerly. That, come on baby, we're ready to meet you. Even though we know there's pain between us and the big reveal, even though we know we have to suffer for it to become real, and in our present suffering, it's what moves us to cry out, how long, Lord, how long? Come on, God, we're ready to see you here. Waiting and patience, it's not our strong suit here in the 21st century United States of America. And it's certainly not our strong suit here at HRBC. We are a bunch of actors, not actors, but actors and doers. 
We want to be actively preparing for what's being born in and around us. We want to prepare the nursery. We want to prepare our pocketbooks. We want to prepare our cars and our car seats. And it's good to be prepared. But what if being prepared is a more inward pursuit? What if we're called more to our knees than to our feet? Theologian and author N.T. Wright says, Patience and prayer are the appropriate stance and activity for God's people while awaiting that redemption, that new birth that is promised to be revealed in us. Patience and prayer as a response to God's anticipated glory in and through us. Patience and prayer as a part of a willingness to meet the suffering head on, to welcome God to change us, and to welcome God to use us to change others. Those who follow Jesus are, as Nicodemus learned, born again. But that's not where it stops. There's so much more to be revealed in us through the Holy Spirit present in our patient waiting and our hoping for full redemption with all of God's creation. If we run ahead of spirit instead of waiting patiently and talking with and listening to God, we may miss hearing the cries of others' pain. We may miss the places we should be present to ease each other's pain and suffering. We may miss our opportunity to be midwives of sorts to the birth of the new things that God is bringing into being in us and in each other and in the world. One of the things that has most compelled me about this particular passage is the ways that I've come to recognize the fullness of the part that suffering plays in new things, in every new thing. It's not a recreation of the old thing. It's not a return to the good old days when things were just as we liked them to be. It's a completely new thing, born of sharing Christ's suffering. That suffering, friends, was love lived out, a chosen suffering on our behalf, and it was a desire to make things right. One of the other things that has made me love this passage so is how I can see both the manger and the cross in this image of birth. Christ brought among us through the pangs of birth experienced in a rough, humble stable. Christ with skin and bones here with us. Christ suffering our pain on a rough, cruel cross, birthing a new kingdom. How remarkable is that circle? And when I wrote that and when I was thinking about it, all I could hear was the Lion King, the circle of life, but it really is a circle of life. And now, when I look at this table, I see a birthing table of sorts where body and blood are laid down and poured out for us. The night before Jesus was crucified, where he took on our suffering as his own, he also was suffering 
from a pain that was going to come from separation from those that he loved. He was suffering because the world was suffering and he was compelled and felt and was told by God to do something about it. And on that night, Jesus shared a meal with his disciples, his friends. He took the bread from the table. He broke it and he gave thanks, saying, This is my body given for you. Take it, eat it. And whenever you eat this bread together, remember me. In the same way, you don't need to take your packs yet. Wait patiently. In the same way, he took the cup. And he gave thanks and he said, this is my blood shed for you. Take, drink it. And whenever you drink this cup together, remember me. This table where we celebrate Christ's suffering and our new birth, this is not my table. This is Christ's table. And all who follow him are welcome here. Join me as we celebrate together. This is the bread, Christ's body given for you. Take, eat, and remember. This is Christ's blood poured out for you. Take, drink, remember. Pray with me. God, we give you great thanks for welcoming us as your children, for allowing us to share in suffering with Christ, suffering on our behalf. We thank you for the invitation to wait and hope and work until Christ's return. We pray that in our patient waiting, you will make obvious to us the places that we need to lend aid so that your kingdom is seen now and forevermore. In Christ's name we pray, amen.